Welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. From piecing to quilting and everything in between, this podcast brings you tips and techniques from the experts and fun stories from quilters just like you. Hi everyone and welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. I'm Ashley Huff and today our special guest is Nikki LaFoyle. So thanks for being here, Nikki. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Ashley. Well, thank you. We're super happy to have you and we're going to kind of take a little sidestep from all things quilting and talk about sewing today, but sewing and quilting have a lot of overlap. So I know you're going to learn something regardless of our actual topic today. Um, But first off, how long have you been sewing and who taught you? I have been sewing for a really long time. (laughs) Um, I think I was like 11 years old when I started and that was 20 years ago now. Um, So my grandma was the one who taught me and I actually... I don't have any memories of her teaching me. So it's like I was born knowing how to sew. You know, (laughs) I I don't remember learning how to sew, but I know it must have been my grandma who taught me because my mom is not a sewist. Um, Mm -hmm. She's creative in her own way. And now that she's retired, she has been able to do her own creative thing. She does um, sculptures with recycled metal and recycled stuff. Um, so she's, she's able to, to have, you know, she, she has always been creative. She's really great at drawing. Um, but when I was growing up, she was working and raising two kids. So she, you know, she didn't have time then and, you know, sewing was not her thing. So, um, it was my grandma who had her sewing machine and, um, but my grandma was more of like a multi-crafter. So she did a lot of beading and, you know, all kinds of different craft stuff. So sewing was not her main thing. Mm-hmm. So when she taught me how to sew, it was like, it was kind of like just the most basic things, like how to thread a machine and how to put the needle in and right. like really, really basic things. And the rest was kind of me figuring it out. And it so it was mm-hmm. a lot of trial and error, emphasis on error. So <laughs> There's a lot of unpicking seams and, um, I did, I mostly did hand sewing for a really long time, but we had, uh, an old singer machine that was like the, one of the ones in the, like attached to the desk and it Mm -hmm. opens up and the thing flips up. That was my great grandma's and my mom had it upstairs in our house and she was using it as like a table. You know, she had the sewing machine down and she had a bunch of stuff stacked on it. It was like just an end table. And when I started getting interested in sewing, she was like, oh, I have a sewing machine. So Mm -hmm. she, you know, cleared off the table and then that was my sewing machine. So I kind of, I went from there and my grandma gave me, you know, she had a bunch of books on sewing. So she gave me like this Reader's Digest book on sewing. And that was my initial uh, introduction into learning how to sew. That's perfect. So needless to say, you come from a very crafty family. So all things crafting covered in your household. Yeah, very creative and creative in different ways. Um, Yeah. All my mom's brothers write music and play guitar. So I have a lot of creativity floating around me for sure. That's perfect. And and you are creative in other ways too, which we'll get to in a little bit later. But um, so what is your background in terms of, so that's kind of how you got into sewing, but then how did you take it a step further than your Reader's Digest book of sewing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, yes, I went on to further education, um, formal education in sewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Central Michigan University and I got my bachelor's degree um, in apparel design. So that was my major, apparel design. And um, the course study was a lot of hands-on, um, functional learning how to sew. And that was where I really, I learned the nuts and bolts of, you know, how to read a pattern. And cause I'd never used patterns before then. I'd always just kind of cut out my own shapes and patched them together and, you know, kind of figured out what worked, but mm-hmm. it was like a whole new world, you know, kind of opened, opened up my world to, to all kinds of, um, different, different things because now learning the actual technical knowledge, how to create garments was like just amazing for me because that's what I always wanted to do was design clothes. I I thought I was going to be a fashion designer. So uh, I liked making my own clothes in high school, uh, mostly like prom dresses and stuff. Yeah. Um, so now to, to be able to finally have that knowledge to actually make things, um, make them well, mm-hmm. um, instead of just kind of cobbling things together was super, super cool. So I got a lot of, a lot of hands-on knowledge, like I said, um, in sewing, but also in, um, design theory and color theory and all kinds of fun stuff. So that's where I got, you know, a good base of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was lucky enough to, um, when I graduated, I worked in retail for a while, but then I got a job at Sony's magazine and, uh, that was super cool. That's where we met actually. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was great. Um, but getting that, um, sort of on the job knowledge as well taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of tips and tricks of the trade, like we had a, a tips and tricks section actually in the magazine where readers would send in their tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. And that was like great, great teaching for me just to be around and in the sewing world. Um, and of course, the more you sew, the more you do, the more you're immersed in it, you know, your knowledge base just builds. Yeah, absolutely. And you always, like you said, with the tips and tricks, I mean, you're going to get tips submitted from somebody who has been sewing for 70 plus years yeah. maybe and something you never would have thought of right. is just kind of commonplace to them. Yep, exactly. And people who do it for so for a living, mm-hmm. like actual real professionals. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so this goes along with um clothing design and you wanting to be a fashion designer and you wanting to make your own clothes and I know I know parts of this story and I think we've talked about it before, but what was your first project and how did it go? um yeah so a lot of my first projects were disasters because as I mentioned it was trial and error I didn't really know anything more than how to thread a needle and Mm -hmm. you know my imagination was bigger than my skill set at that point um so I don't know if it was my first project because I did like I said I don't remember a lot of when I first learned how to sew because I was 11 Mm -hmm. um but yeah, one of my first projects was a pair of pants. Mm-hmm. Um, in theory, they were going to be a pair of pants. And I had this cute paisley fabric, quilting cotton fabric. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I didn't know how to use patterns. So 
it was just me kind of breaking it down and figuring it out how I thought it should work. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I measured myself and I cut my pieces and I cut my pieces to my measurements without adding any ease or I don't even know if I added seam allowances. <laughs> so it was, it was a disaster. I could hardly get my legs into these pants, let alone move in them. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, you know, I, I unpicked all those seams and used that fabric for something else. So that was, you know, it was good instruction for me in how not to make pants. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and I'm glad you could share that with anyone out there that's listening, thinking, you know, I want to start making garments too. And, you know, I'm a quilter. I have a bunch of quilting cotton. Let's go ahead and make some <laughs> pants. Like, so there are some things you're going to need to do first. So yes, yeah, seam allowance yeah. and ease, and maybe go ahead and just buy a pattern yep. to start. <laughs> Give Very yourself an important. idea. So then that was sort of your, one of your first disastrous projects. What project have you been the most proud of? I think for, for most proud of there, there are a couple that come to mind. So one of the prom dresses I did in high school, I was really proud of that. And especially at the time, because it was like the biggest thing that I had done up to that point. And I had added a whole bunch of tool underneath it to make it, you know, like a big puffy prom dress. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was very complex for my skill set at the time. So that I think that's why I was proud of it. And I I still am kind of proud of it. Like for someone who had no formal education in train education in sewing, mm-hmm. I did that. So I mean I kind of cringe when I look back on it now, but for me at the time, it was pretty great. Yeah, um perfect. but for but for um you know the rest of my life, um I think I'm most proud of one of the projects I did for Sew News Magazine, which was a, a pin tuck tank. Mm-hmm. And I I drew the pattern for that, um, you know, accounting for the, the extra space for the pin tucks. And pin tucks were a new skill for me at that time. This was three, or, three years ago or something I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a new skill for me. And I drew the pattern, came up with it. And I think I'm most proud of it because... I still wear that shirt. <laughs> I, it, it turned out really, really well. And it was cute and functional. And I still wear it to this day. So I love that shirt. That is perfect. I, I am bad about making things that are my size. Like when I'm making something for a magazine or something. Because I always try to make them to fit the dress form or something. Right. Yeah. And I mean, for those of you that don't know Nikki, she's about the size of my dress form. Like <laughs> she, she can be, you know, both sizes where I'm not. So I always make things and then they fit the dress form. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll have to make one again my size. Right. <laughs> so I can wear it. Perfect. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, this is something that you just mentioned that you, you learned in school. And I think it's something that can apply to sewing, quilting, and really just all things crafting. But you mentioned color theory. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about what it was you learned? I guess how you now approach colors and fabric selection and fabric colors and things like that maybe differently than you did before? Um, yeah. So the, the color theory that they taught us was, I guess, kind of a basic thing. So, you know, you had your, you have your color wheel and you learn the different color schemes that are most aesthetically pleasing to the eye. So you've got your, obviously your monochromatic color schemes, which is all in one tone of color, or you can do your triadic, which is, you know, the thirds on the color wheel. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, complementary colors, which are across from each other on the color wheel, or um, I forget the name of it, but it's for colors that are next to each other on the color wheel. Oh, there's, yeah. a name, mm-hmm. there's a name for it, but it was a long time ago that I learned that. Um, so those are still some general rules that I try to play by, especially when I'm ordering fabric online, because that is, it's so hard for me to order fabric online. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I would tell people when they are first starting to get into sewing is try to buy your fabric in person if you can, because it gives you such a better idea of how the colors actually look because colors on your computer screen may not be exactly how they are in real life. Um, So whenever I can, I try to um, buy my fabric in person, but I don't have a great fabric store in my town. So I do find myself a lot of times ordering fabric online and it can be so overwhelming, all of the choices that I, I have to look at a color wheel and limit myself to one or two basic colors. And I try to do in my projects, if I want to do more than one fabric, I pick a fabric that is a solid or close to a solid, one or two of those Mm -hmm. solid-ish colors, and then a print because you don't want to have too much going on. I mean, unless that's what you're going for. Right. That's true. Everything is valid. It's all your personal preference, but that's just how I do it. That's actually very similar to how I, I approach fabric selection for quilting. I know that's different than a lot of people, but I definitely gear towards the solid fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not very, I don't like a whole lot of color and print, yeah. so I'm a solid <laughs> fabric person. But so I think it's great that you can have the same sort of thought process, whether you're selecting fabrics for a quilt or you're selecting fabrics for your clothes, like you can kind of use the same thing. And even if maybe you are trying to pick fabrics for a quilt, you could be like, hey, I have this shirt that I like, that I made, that I really like, and I'm going to take these colors off of it. And turn it into a quilt. So I feel like you can kind of use both as inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Any colors that work together, you can take inspiration from anything. Like if there's paint colors in your house that work together in a room, like my kitchen, I've got a gray wall, a white wall, and a teal ceiling, which is kind mm-hmm. of weird, but it works really well together. And I like that color combination. So you can take that, whatever's you know pleasing to your eye, take that and transfer it to a sewing project. Yes, absolutely. Now I want to see your kitchen too. (laughs) So, okay. Well, so speaking of spaces, now that we have an idea of what your kitchen looks like, what is your sewing space like? Oh, my sewing space. Um, it's, you'll be disappointed. It's so sad. Um, so my house is pretty small, so I don't really have a dedicated sewing space. I've got all my sewing stuff in our guest bedroom, which is actually in the attic of our house. So, it's a small space. It does not have any ductwork run to it. So it's really cold in the winter. <laughs> I have like okay. a space, space heater up there. Um, and you know, the walls are slanted up cause it's our attic. So I don't really have any wall space that I can hang like those pegs for thread spools. I would love mm-hmm. to be able to hang some of those, but I can't because my walls are slanted. Right. Um, and you know, we've got a bed up there. My husband has his computer desk up there. Um, and I've got my sewing desk and I have another dresser for my sewing supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is it. So I'm, I'm forced to cut my, fa- I have my cutting mat and I just put it on the floor, cut my fabric on the floor. So it's not ideal. 
it's kind of small, kind of cramped, but you know, it, it works. I, I can make it work. Perfect. So I mean, you have, like you said, you make it work with what you have. I remember growing up, learning how to sew. The sewing room was the laundry room and you just, <laughs> there was a, you, the sewing machine was under the counter. If you wanted to use it, you know, you had to bring it up and put it up mm-hmm. there. So, and I mean, I've been in an apartment before too, and it's just been, you take over the kitchen table when necessary. Right. So you just yeah. make it work. Yeah. yeah and it's so, better. What I have now is better than anything I've had before, you know, in college we had the the sewing room, which had tables and cutting mats and it was perfectly set up for sewing. And then I went into a little house and like you, I had to bring my sewing machine down to the kitchen table to sew. And when I was done, I had to pack everything back up and move it all back up to my room because we were living with roommates. So what I have now, at least everything is all in the same room. Perfect. So it's, it's definitely better than what I had before. And I have decent storage, um, but yeah, it's not not super ideal. So there's room for improvement. Okay. Well, I'll get to that in a second. So speaking of, um, you said you had to pack things up and put them away. That's probably my favorite part of having a dedicated sewing room is not having to do that. And that's the one thing that like my husband can't even look in my sewing room because he's like, I don't <laughs> understand how you know where things are or how you get anything done. Cause I just, if I'm in the middle of a project, like it is out and it will be out until it's finished, you know? So I, I like that part of that. But so if you could design a dream sewing space, besides being able to have straight walls, what would it have? <laughs> um, well, first of all, it would have a cutting table. Um, mm. Being able to stand up while cutting is like a dream of mine. <laughs> cutting with your cutting mat on the floor, ugh, it's just, it's terrible because I have all of my other stuff like strewn over the floor, my basket mm-hmm. and my scissors and some extra fabric. So I'm like, trying to shuffle around all this stuff. And I inevitably like sit on my, you know, my pattern weights that have those pins in the back of them. (laughs) Which Um, you can't even find those anymore, by the way. I know you have them and you might have the last existing pair ever. (laughs) I know. I was looking for them too because somebody had asked where to get them. But yeah, I don't think they manufacture them anymore. No, you're going to have to start that up. That'll be a little Nikki side business is these pattern weights with pins. If the, there would be a market for them, I think. I, think so. I, I love them; they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yes, I would. I would definitely have a cutting table. Like I said in college, they had beautiful cutting tables right at the exact right height for you to, you know, mm-hmm. rotary cut everything, and you could just you step around the table to cut, um, and it was perfect. And they had those cutting mats that were like really thick and squishy. So yes. you could actually like poke your pins into them to hold down your patterns when mm-hmm. you're like, tracing patterns off or cutting your patterns or whatever. Um, I love one of those. And yeah, straight walls so that I could hang those pegs so that I could see all of my thread. Because right now I've got my thread in like this little tackle box, yeah, which is kind of great for organizing, but I like to be able to see all of my thread at once because right. I, would, I would organize it with, you know, from black to, to gray to, you know, in my little, keep all my colors together Mm -hmm. in the rainbow so that I could just look at it and pick out exactly what I needed. That would be lovely. That'd be perfect. Speaking Mm -hmm. of thread, because I know that's something, I think you've seen my collection that's always behind me on the wall, Mm -hmm. which is my decoration thread. I think I've mentioned Mm -hmm. that before. I don't ever 
I try not to use them because then I'll be missing a color. <laughs> I just have to replace it. So, but speaking of thread, because I know thread is something that I mean, you've talked about it on some of our live events and on other videos you've done with us, the importance of good thread and, and storing your thread properly and all of that kind of stuff. In terms of quilting, we generally use cotton thread. How would you store your, your thread if you had a majority of it being cotton? Um, how would you store it? Where would you put it? What would you make sure that it's not doing? <laughs> Yes. So storing thread, um, all thread, um, you want to keep it away from direct sunlight and you want to keep it away from excess humidity. Just keep it in, you can keep it in something like away from, away from the window, away from the light. Um, and just make sure it's not stored in like a closed tote in the basement or somewhere like that has a lot of humidity in my area of the world. Anyway, I live in Michigan. We have a lot of humidity, but especially in the basement um, and in the attic in the summer anyway, would have mm -hmm. a lot of humidity. So um, just make sure that your thread can um, breathe and dry out if it needs to, um, if it's, you know, too wet in the air and yeah, just away from the, the UV of the sunlight, which can damage the fibers in the thread and break them down. And then you'll get brittle thread and thread breakage and all kinds of things. So as long as you do that, uh, you can keep your thread for many, many, many years. Perfect. Well, so someone like you who mentioned that you are up in your attic, right? Cause that's where your sewing space mm -hmm. is. And you know that that during some times of the year can get either humid or very, very cold or things like that. Do you move your stuff around? Do you find that you have to, or do you just kind of insulate things when it's cold or what do you kind of do for that? Um, I, I don't feel the need to move things around um, because even though it gets real cold in the winter and real hot in the summer, it's, you know, it's not like I'm keeping all my sewing stuff out in the garage where there's no heat that gets to it at all. Um, and I know it's got decent airflow because we keep the door to it open. So it mm -hmm. gets, it gets decent airflow and I keep my thread and my fabric and everything in the closet, but the closet doesn't have doors. So it's not like it's right. trapping the humidity in there. So it's right. all fine where it is. Perfect. What machine do you have? What do you use to sew on? I have a Foth Passport 2.0 and I don't ever want to sew on anything else again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that machine. Well, Perfect. I was going to ask because it's, it's a computerized machine too, right? Um, yes, it is. Okay. It, doesn't, it doesn't have like a screen, like a touch screen where you do everything on the screen. Um, okay. But it's it's computerized in that I I select my my stitch. It's got a little um, stitch key. So mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, you know, each stitch has a designated number. And I right. hit the, the, you know, the number key to select my stitch. Gotcha. Because I was going to ask if you if you thought you needed to do something with a computerized machine in hot and cold temperatures. I know we t we kind of talked about this years ago, I think, because I mentioned yeah. that I used to live in Alaska and keep stuff in a storage unit, and I never even thought about whether that would harm a machine. So is that is that something you think about at all? Um, yeah. If so, it would be something to be concerned about. I think if you had a computerized machine and you kept it in like in a storage facility or in the garage. And if temperatures got really, really low, I would be concerned about the, like the screen of it, mm -hmm. like with any electronic, um, you don't want to expose it to extreme temperatures and 
then you don't want it to go from an extreme temperature to another extreme temperature. So if right, it was like right. freezing, I wouldn't want to then bring it directly into the house. You would think, right. you know, you'd want to like warm if it you're, up gradually. Yeah, like if you're thawing out a steak, you know, <laughs> gradually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, just things th- things to think about that if you aren't someone who has you know an, a dedicated extra room in the main floor of your house, like things that you have to think about that you might not have realized, you know, in terms of your machines and your thread and all of your supplies and stuff. So great tips. Perfect. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about sewing specific questions. Like I mentioned your, and you've said this, your background is in sewing and in pattern drafting design. If someone is, is thinking about getting into making their own patterns, like they want to make clothes, but they don't necessarily want to make a commercial pattern. Where do you start in terms of designing your own pattern? Do you sketch things out? Do you just sit down and start sewing and see what happens? Where, where's your beginning? Um, so when I'm starting to design a project, you know, I dream it up in my head and then I break it down backward kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, the order of operations has to be done in a certain order. Um, and I like to sketch it out. I sketch out the, you know, the finished product product and then break it down into sketches by the steps so that Mm -hmm. I can, kind of work backward to my beginning point, my beginning shapes that I need. And those sketches just kind of help me keep it straight in my head. And that way I can jot, I make little like diagrams so I can jot down then my measurements when I take measurements off of myself or off of um, the pattern or, or a ready, ready-made shirt or something. Um, mm-hmm. So I have my starting point and then I make you know notes to myself plus one inch seam allowance or whatever it is. Um, and then I have a reference then to look at if, you know, to remind myself of my measurements and to have uh, those notes down for then for, you know, the finished pattern. When I get that all finished and cut out, mm-hmm. I know what, you know, seam allowances I need to add or whatever for the next time I make that project. Perfect. So how is that different from, say, when you were working at Sew News and a pattern came in and you had to just simply edit the pattern, not necessarily make whatever it was, but how do you visualize what you're reading in order to be able to edit the pattern without having to physically make everything? Yeah, that was challenging sometimes, actually, um, to to visualize it when it's someone else's project. You know, mm-hmm. they have it all straight in their head and they've written it down to what makes sense for them, but then you have to go in and decipher it and in order to, you know, edit it mm-hmm. properly, you need to be able to visual it, visualize it yourself. So it could be challenging sometimes and some, you know, some contributors were a lot better at it than others. And if there there have there were certain cases where stories would come in and I just the the instructions that were written were either so minimal or just didn't really make sense for how the thing, you know, how the pattern looked or how it should it should go together. Um, And then they would send in their finished product, too. And I would turn that inside out and look at how the seams were constructed to to get a, you know, further evidence of how the order of operations should go. Mm-hmm. And if any one thing didn't match the other, then you would have to go in and correct it. So sometimes it was like 
basically taking their project and breaking it back down in my mind and basically just like rewriting the whole thing so that the pattern and the instructions would match the finished product. So it was kind of the same process, just in, you know, in a different order, you know, right. for, for the magazine, it would be take a finished product and the finished pattern and break it down to match, which was, it right. was kind of fun. It's like a puzzle, you know, <laughs> that's already a part and you just have to put it back together. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, so this sort of can go along the lines of whether you are editing a sewing pattern, or maybe you are somebody who edits people's quilting patterns. Um, sort of where do you, I know it's, it, it was different at a magazine because when they submit a pattern, they're kind of signing the rights, you know, to that pattern mm-hmm. to be put into the magazine. But if, if you're just editing someone else's pattern, is there sort of a fine line between rewriting it entirely in your words versus just making small corrections? Like at what point do you feel you've taken over a pattern? That's, yeah, that's a good question. Cause that's not something that ever really crossed my mind at the magazine because mm-hmm. when they sent those things to us, they were ours mm-hmm. in, in essence. You know, we had all the rights to them so we could do kind of whatever we wanted to them. Right. Um, so yeah, if we felt the need to completely rewrite it, then in order to, you know, make sense in our technical minds and it, they would always go through three or four different editors to make sure everything made sense. Um, but of course, then the the designer's name, the contributor's name would still be on it. So they would still get the credit for the project and everything. But yeah, in essence, it then belongs to the magazine. Right. Yeah. Just I one thing that I think we've gotten questions, you know, on in sewing related on our site and quilting related. What is, you know, copyright issues? Can you rewrite a pattern? Can you use someone else's pattern and make something and sell it? So there's all sorts of these weird little uh, tripwires that you can yeah. accidentally, you know, set off kind of thing. So just kind of knowing uh, if you are someone who edits patterns or you plan to use a pattern for something and maybe sell it, like just make sure you're, you either have full rights to something like you guys did at the magazine mm-hmm. or, you know, consult the designer. You just make sure you're taking the, the necessary steps to not get yourself in trouble. Right. And um, I read somewhere or, yeah, I think it was, I, I read somewhere like copyright law. And I don't know if it's different in state by state. I don't know if it was an actual law or a guideline or whatever, but if you find a pattern or buy a pattern and you want to use that as a base to then make things to sell, if you're mm-hmm. going to monetize it, make money on it, you need to change that pattern by like 20%. And I don't, I don't know how you would break that down and figure out what is a 20% change, but you do have to change it a little bit, um, in order to then, you know, make it yours say, you know, that you're not just copying somebody else's thing and then making money off of it. Right. Um, you do have to change it to make it your own. Right. And that, I think maybe, a if the the 20% thing is scaring somebody and thinking like, Oh, I don't know how to figure out if it's 20%, just think of like, you're changing it enough to make it a different project. Like, Nikki didn't invent the shirt, but I might use her shirt as an inspiration to make my own shirt. So it's like, you're not copying hundred percent something. You're just sort of using their project as inspiration, whether that's style, shape, color, design, fabrics. There's a lot of ways to change things up. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Well, so I want to talk a little bit more 
um, back to coming full circle here from your creative family, uh, you are also creative in other ways other than, than sewing. So what is it that you like to do when you're not sewing? So when I'm not sewing, sewing is as big of a part of my life as sewing is. When you look at everything I do in my life and in my days, it's a very small part. Um, so it depends on the, the time of year. So in the summer, my husband and I have a big garden. So, you know, that takes a lot of work to upkeep that and then also process everything that comes out of it. So I, we had way too many tomato plants this year. So I canned a lot of salsa. Um, nice. I canned our carrots. I can I pickled a bunch of beets and, you know, I made pickles from our cucumbers um, so that's really fun for me. I like to cook. I like to can. And it's very satisfying to go downstairs in my little, we call it my squirrel room because I'm squirreling <laughs> all kinds of food in there. You know, all my cans of, of food that I've um, canned and, you know, will have for the winter. So that is super fun for me. Um, and then in the winter when it gets cold here in the Upper Peninsula, and it does get very, very cold and very, very snowy. So we try to get out of Dodge for a little bit in the winter. So we travel. So we take our daughter out of school for a couple months. And last year we went to Spain for mm -hmm. two and a half months. And this year the plane tickets are not booked yet, but mm -hmm. we're, we're planning a trip to Thailand. Oh, wow. Uh, so unless, I mean, until the ticket is booked, you know, it's kind of all up it's in not the air. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but we, we love to travel. So uh, that's something we're looking forward to this winter. But and then all year round, of course, um, I write. So I'm I'm also an author. So, you know, wherever I am, I, as long as I have my computer or my phone with me or paper and pen, I'm always, you know, jotting things down. And I have... Perfect traveling hobby. It is. It really is. You can take it anywhere with you. Um, so I have two books out. Mm -hmm. um, and I write, it's like women's fiction, but also romance, but also, you know, some adventure. So I have, I, um, I have read both. I've enjoyed both. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first one, it was, I wrote it in 2012. Um, that's a, it's a historical romance uh, having to do with pirates. So mm -hmm. need I say more? <laughs> um, <laughs> perfect. And then uh, I released another one in July and that's a, another historical romance, but that is um, set in the old West. So mm -hmm. the American West in Texas. And that was my favorite cause I'm in Texas yeah. now, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, um, to do with, you know, a woman who she, she kind of makes an outlaw of herself in order to protect her family. And then she gets into all kinds of trouble and adventures and she finds, she finds herself, you know, a family kind of, and mm -hmm. falls in love. And then she, not to spoil anything, but you know, <laughs> she has a happily ever after. <laughs> good, good, yes. So, yeah, Perfect. awesome. No, I think that I think that's great. I think it's wonderful, and that just I don't. I think sometimes people think they can only have one hobby, and that's definitely not the case. Like you can have as many hobbies as you can fill your time with, and still be great at everything at each one of those, and not feel that I can only be you know super good at one, and the others kind of take to the wayside. Like you can be great at a bunch of things. Yeah. As long as you have, you know, the, the passion for it, if you enjoy it, absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. Perfect. All right. Well, so we're going to end on some more sewing related questions. Uh, but what are you currently working on? Um, so currently, um, it's October now. So of course we're thinking about Halloween mm -hmm. and 
my daughter has decided, so we've, we've decided, you know, she was maybe going to be a unicorn, maybe going to be Hermione Granger. Uh, but she finally, she ruled those out and she finally decided she wanted to be Ray from Star Wars. Perfect. So I'm working on that costume, um, which is, is, it's fun to make things for her because she's so excited about it. And she's just, you know, she's, she was looking at pictures of Ray with me so we could, you know, break down the costume and figure out piece by piece what I needed to make. And she just, she gets so excited. It makes me excited. And then it gets her involved in the process in picking out fabrics from my stash and everything. And, and she asked me the other day, mom, will you teach me how to sew? Perfect. I I almost started crying right there. (laughs) Yes. Of course I will. Perfect. Um, So that's, yeah, that's really exciting. So that's what I'm working on in my sewing. Um, Mm -hmm. But then in writing, I'm also, so I'm working on promoting the, um, my, my most recent book, which is called Lesser Mm -hmm. Evils. So I'm promoting that. And I'm also working on another one. It's a contemporary romance, which actually I set in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where I live. So yeah, some yeah, some expert knowledge on the setting. So that'll be a good one. I'm excited for that. Well, good. Well, you have to let, let me know when that one comes out too, because I have to get them all. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is either your favorite or the absolute best sewing tip you've either ever heard or you've learned or that you've passed on to someone else? Oh boy, that's tough. There are so many good ones, so many necessary tips, but the one that I use probably most often as far as like a specific technical tip is to pin parallel to the seam line. You can pin because I I started out, you know, learning I would pin perpendicular to the seam line. Uh-huh. Um but pinning you can pin directly on the seam line and you know like along the seam line perpendicular right. to it and that way you you hold more area of the seam line together. So it works as kind of like basting the seam line, depending on how many pins you use. It's kind of like basting the seam line first before you stitch it. So it holds everything together really well, which is great, especially if you're using kind of slippery fabrics or creepy fabrics like velvet or velveteen or even some knit fabrics. Mm -hmm. Um, And then make sure whatever direction you're sewing in that your the head of your pin is facing you so that as you're sewing, then you can just kind of pull that pin out as it's going right. under the presser foot. So Ooh. that is a great tip. That's how I do it. Um, and there's nothing worse than getting something pinned only to realize you pinned it like the wrong direction. So you, right. you have to like then reach up or like reach under oh, to take yeah. your pin out. The pin out. Yeah. I hate that. So, that's true. so make sure you're, so Sorry. Say that's interesting. I'm going to have to try that because I am a perpendicular pinner and I always have the head of my pin going out towards the right because right. I'm right-handed, right? Mm-hmm. So I can pull the pin out, but I could do it just like you said, and I could still easily pull the pin out as I stitch up to it. And then, I mean, that makes it like impossible to stitch over a pin because there's no way you can stitch over like a two inch length right. of your pin. Exactly. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. And that's, I'm gonna have to give that that's a try. another reason that I do it because it was drilled into my head in college. You do not sew over your pins. I know some people do, mm-hmm. um, and they've never had a problem with it. But yeah. Miss Honey was my sewing instructor, and she was always so worried about one of us 
hitting a hitting a pin with our needle and then it like flying up into our eyes or something. Or, oh yeah, I'm know. sure. Yeah. So we were always do not sew over your pins. So when you yeah when you put them in perpendicular to the seam line, then you just you know you grasp the the head of that pin and as the feed dogs pull the fabric under the presser foot, you that pin just slides right out and it's just seamless. So oh, you mean parallel when you put it in parallel with the seam? Oh line? yes, yep. Did yeah. I say perpendicular? Yep. 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 Parallel. Okay. So All that right. is... I'm going to give it a try. Yes. I'll let you know. Give Good. Me some, I'll give you my honest review. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I can yes. count on you. Um, so that, that was my, you know, brass tacks kind of technical functional sewing tip, but I also mm-hmm. have a general sewing tip that I was Ooh, thinking okay. about. And that is to buy the right fabric for your project and to buy good fabric. So buy fabric that has a cute print because you're going to be excited about the project and excited to see, you know, it in its finished stage. And if you've got a super cute fabric, then if you make a little mistake or two here or there, nobody's going to notice. And it's still going to be cute because it's in a cute fabric. Yes. But you want to, you want to get the right fabric for your project too. So if, if you're working with the wrong fabric for the intended use, then it's going to be a frustrating sewing process. You're going to not have fun. You might even give up before it's done. And you want to make sure also you get like a good fabric too, because even if you get the right fabric for the project, if it is, you know, like a cheap fabric, that's just kind of junky and doesn't feel good. You're also Mm -hmm. going to have a frustrating sewing process. Things might not go as smoothly as if you got a good quality fabric. And I'm not saying to go out and spend $50 on a yard of fabric, but you know, that's why it's kind of important to feel the fabric too or buy your fabric if you're buying it online from you know, a, a retailer that you trust. So yeah. Oh, yeah. if ever I'm buying Knit fabric, I'll go to girlcharlie.com, just girl, mm-hmm. girl Charlie and Charlie is C-H-A-R-L-E-E.com. And I like buying the knit fabric from there because they tell you the weight of it. And the weight is they take a square yard and they weigh it. And you can tell if a fabric is going to be really light and airy if it's, you know, a lighter weight. If it's 7.5 right. ounce versus a 10 ounce, you can kind of tell how it's going to feel before you even touch it. That's interesting. I have nev- never weighed fabric or even knew that that was a way to, uh, yeah, to tell assess that. its quality. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree with the buying the right fabric and buying the good fabric. Like you said, alleviate some problems along the way. And even like a step further, you'd hate to buy lesser quality fabric. And then whether it's a shirt or a quilt and you wash it and it shrinks, like it just might not ever be the same. So, right. Yep. You want it to, to be how you want it to be for the life of whatever it is. Exactly. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here and chatting with us, all things sewing. Uh, oh. If somebody is interested in looking at your work or you in general, things that you do, how are ways that uh, we can find you? Yeah. So I am on the World Wide Web. Um, I have a, a blog. So I, my personal blog is meetthegofamily.com or no, meet the meetthegofamily.blogspot.com. 
And that's where I blog about whatever. I blogged about all of our adventures in Spain last year. And I blog about the garden and my kid and what I'm doing with, you know, sewing her Halloween costume. Sometimes I, I blog, you know, recipes of something that I've made or whatever. So that's just kind of whatever I'm doing at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a a writing blog as well. Um, That's nllafoil.blogspot.com. And I just post kind of updates on my writing so you can find out um, about my books there and uh, where to buy them. They're both available as eBooks and as paperback copies on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lesser Evils is also uh, available on Apple Books and some other ebook retailers. So mm-hmm. you can find all of that on my writing blog. Um, I'm also Perfect. on Twitter at NLLafoil. Yeah. You and can. of course, you have fa- I know you have Facebook. Yes, I, I do. I friended you on there. Yep, I do. I have my, my personal page. Um, I also have an author page too, um, which is NLLafoil. So you can follow that if you want to get news about um, my books and other things like that. But I'm not on Facebook, uh, like on my personal Facebook account um, very often. So if you wanted to get a hold of me going through either Twitter or um, one of my blogs, mm-hmm. if you comment on any blog post, I get an email on that. So that's a, a good way to get in touch with me. Perfect. So if anyone has, you know, writing questions, gardening questions, I'm a little bit jealous in your garden, gardening question, of course, sewing, pattern drafting, all that kind of stuff. And you're also um, on our sister site, National Sewing Circle, all the time, live events, videos, tutorials, classes, um, all sorts of things. So there's definitely no shortage of way uh, to see Nikki and get some of her tips and expertise. Um, But again, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure we'll have you on again later to talk more things sewing. Sounds great. Thank you, Ashley. It's been a pleasure. 